Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Smith. He is an economics professor at Pomona College in Claremont, California, and he's done a new book called The AI Delusion. Welcome to the show, Gary. Well, thanks for inviting me. Just tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what you teach uh, at, Claire, at uh, Claremont. Well, I started out uh, a long time ago as a math major, and then I decided economics was more interesting. So I went to graduate school at Yale in economics, and uh, one of my teachers there was James Tobin, who was, got a Nobel Prize for a lot of his work in financial economics and stuff. And I decided the most interesting parts of, of economics were data, statistics, and uh, finance, the stock market. And they go together really nicely because you've got your your theories, you've got your data to test your theories, and you can make some money. So it's, it's wonderful stuff. And I, I stayed and taught at Yale for about uh, seven years. And then I ended up out here in, back in California where I grew up. And I teach uh, statistics and the stock market. So the love of my life. Very good. So this whole book is about artificial intelligence, what you call the AI delusion. Uh, just to begin with, just kind of explain what artificial intelligence is supposed to do before we get into why it's a delusion, but just kind of give a basic on it's, what... It's one, of those, it's one of those things that evolves, and there's no like firm definition. So it used to be like if uh, a computer robot could uh, twist bolts on a car, that was called uh, artificial intelligence because it was, it was doing things that humans did before. And now it's evolved to more uh, database things in, in the world of big data and computers using data to do things that are very clever or perhaps useful. And thing, again, it's the thing that computers doing things like humans do. And so we think computers are kind of like humans and, and they have the same kind of intelligence and so on. And it, it, it could be anything. It, it, could be, it could be recommending a particular stock to pick. It could be giving us directions to the nearest uh, gas station or anything like that that involves so it means artificial compared to human intelligence. Is that the contrast? Yeah. And so, so human intelligence has, so we've got these neurons inside our brains, just billions and billions of them. And we're just beginning to understand how in the heck they work. And computers aren't at all like that. They don't have neurons. They don't mimic the human brain. What they have is, is the ability to make mathematical representations of numbers, of sound waves, of pixels, and things like that. And then they manipulate those. And so it's artificial because it doesn't work at all like the human brain. And so the way we put things together, we see a, a vase on a table, and then we see the vase on the floor and a cat on the table, and we put the two together somehow in our mind. We don't know how, how we do it, but we put together a plausible theory in our mind that the cat knocked the vase off the table. And computers, they don't, they don't work like that. What they work like is here's a correlation between the price of gold and the price of silver. Isn't that interesting? without ever knowing what gold or silver is. And so it's, it's it's a very different kind of, that's why it's artificial. It's not at all like human intelligence. So you're saying that this is kind of the biggest hype area around, what is the hype of artificial intelligence? What are people promising that it's well, able it's, to do? Yeah, well, it was the marketing word of the year in 2017, the, the American Association of Marketers. And you remember back in the dot-com bubble where people would have a company and they'd put a dot-com at the end of their company name 
and the price of double. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing now. If you want to be a hip, cool company, you got to say you're doing artificial intelligence. And a lot of the stuff, truthfully, is they advertise, we are an artificial intelligence company, we use artificial intelligence. And then they got humans behind the scenes doing all the work while they try to figure out how to get the computers to do it instead. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a little mystery game. Like I was reading about uh, these automatic schedulers where you want to schedule a meeting with, with 50 people. And so you have a computer schedule the meeting for you. And only about 10% of the time can they actually have the computer figure it out. And the other 90% of the time, there are people off in Atlanta, humans actually doing the work behind the scenes. And, and so it's, 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 just, it's, it's a marketing slogan. And it, ha- it sounds really cool because we see movies in which computers do really amazing things. And so we think, well, I want to, I want to work for a company like that, or I want to buy products for a company like that, or I want to trust a company like that, or I want to buy stock in a company like that, because computers are so amazing. And and my argument is a lot of it is hype that that computers can't do nearly as much as we think they can do. And so, what's the downside of that? People believing artificial intelligence can do all these things, when they find out the reality that they can't do that much, kind of what's the letdown going to lead to? Well, there's a lot of things going on now which, which are, are pretty scary. And so one, one example would be you have computers evaluating job applications. And what they do is they go through and they look at the resumes of people who apply for a job. And then they correlate those to the resumes of people who already have the jobs. And if they find a correlation, then they think that must be a, a meaningful predictor of whether you can do the job. And so one company, they said, we, we found that uh, a lot of our, our programmers visit a particular Japanese manga site. And so if that showed up on a, <laughs> on a job interview or a resume, then you're probably a good programmer. And the CEO of the company said, obviously, it's not causal, but there is a correlation. And more recently, Amazon had a, a couple hundred uh, AI programs going to try and evaluate job applicants for different positions in the company. And they're doing exactly what I, what I just said. They were correlating words on the resumes of applicants with words on the resumes of people who had jobs. And so most of the people in, in, in the software engineering jobs, for example, were white males. And so if somebody applied who happened to be happened to have gone to a women's college, they got, they got points taken off for that because none of the white male engineers went to women's colleges or if they played on, on, a, on a female lacrosse team, points were taken off because none of the males working for, for Amazon had been on a female lacrosse team. And so it, it, it's discriminatory. And also, the other, the other part, Amazon killed the project, but the other part of it was people were complaining that the, the program was sending the people who were unqualified. It wasn't actually judging whether people were qualified to do the job they were being hired for. It was judging whether people had words on the resume. And, and there are lots of examples like that, loan applications and, and other prison sentences. There are all sorts of cases where people trust computers and other people uh, pay the price. Indeed, very good. Well, let's go through some specific examples. Uh, the, the 2016 election was one of them where yeah. Hillary Clinton uh, trusted computers a lot. What, what happened there and how did artificial intelligence or the lack of it right. lead to an un- a surprising result? You know, it started out in 2008 when Hillary Clinton was was a huge favorite, the overwhelming favorite to be elected uh, president, or at least to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. And nobody would run against her, nobody of any importance, except there was a senator from Illinois with <laughs> that no one had ever heard of with the unhelpful name, Barack Obama, and he dared to challenge her. 
And his secret weapon was he had this all this computer power and these computer scientists who tried to micro-target voters. And so they tried to collect data on literally every single voter, potential voter in the, in the country and what kind of issues matter to them and what kind of, if you sent them an email, if he did a phone call, if he knocked on the door, what you should say. And of course he, he defeated Hillary and went on to become president. And so eight years later, when Clinton ran again, she said, this time I'm gonna have the computers on my side. And so she actually hired some of the people from the Obama campaign and she had this secret computer set up, which was going to micro-target voters and tell her everything, to, every dollar to spend on advertising, where those dollars would be spent, what kind of ads and stuff like that. And it, it totally failed. And, and part of the reason was, was the elections were very different. And so when Hillary ran in 2016, first she ran against Bernie Sanders and then against Donald Trump. And there were things like when Hillary had a rally, a couple hundred people would show up and clap politely. And when Bernie Sanders had a rally, 20,000 people would show up and go nuts. And then later when Donald Trump had a rally, 20,000 people would show up and go crazy. And you can't put that into a computer. You, you can put in how people voted in the past and you could say, you know, Michigan usually goes Democratic. And But on the ground, the, the actual campaign workers in Michigan were saying, we've got a problem here. There's no enthusiasm. There's, there's enthusiasm deficit. And you couldn't put that into the computer. And so the computer just blithely assumed Clinton's going to win uh, Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota because Democrats always win that. <laughs> and, it, and afterwards, uh, Democratic consultants said it was uh, it was political malpractice to trust the computer to make those decisions. And then meanwhile, you got Bill Clinton on the sidelines, who's probably the greatest campaigner that any of us have ever seen. And when he beat Bush, you remember his, his slogan? It's the economy stupid. stupid. It's yeah. the economy stupid. And he kept telling Hillary, you got to stop talking about what an idiot Trump is and start talking about what matters to people, which is their jobs. And uh, but the computer, the computer didn't get the message. So. So, yeah. And is, is that going to continue, you think? I mean, campaigns are still going to be using computers and they're definitely going to use computers. But the thing is, if you trust the computer too much. And you don't trust expert opinion, like people who've been around politics for a long time and people on the ground in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan who say there is no enthusiasm here. If you don't trust those people, you're liable to make the same mistakes that uh, Hillary's campaign made. And so the danger is, 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 is that we trust computers too much. We trust computers to say who should get a job, who should get a loan, who sh- who, where money should be spent in a political campaign. And computers aren't qualified to answer those kinds of questions. They can give us data, but you, you ultimately have to have experts step in and say what data is useful and what data is not. Yeah. So if you're a, a I guess you'd call it a victim of artificial intelligence, you've been denied <laughs> a job. What are there are there things you can do to kind of combat uh, artificial intelligence doing unfair uh, things? I, I think you know the, the kind of society we live in today. It's it's going to be lawsuits. And so a lot of the things that in the job applications and loan applications and, and things like that are frankly discriminatory. And so when, when a woman doesn't get a job because she went to a woman's college, I mean, that, that's the basis for a lawsuit. <laughs> uh-huh. And on, on loan applications, there was a program, it monitored cell phone usage. And it said people who didn't answer their cell phone were bad credit risk just because it correlated, you know, there's no, no logical basis for that, but it correlated. 
And there's some religions where you're not supposed to answer the phone on certain times of the day or certain days of the week or certain days of the year. So that's discriminatory. And so I think that what's going to happen is, is the lawsuits are going to force the, uh, force the companies using AI to be a little more careful in what they do. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gary Smith. Uh, he is an economics professor at Pomona College in Claremont, California, and his new book is called The AI Delusion. Uh, his website, by the way, is GarySmithN, like Nancy, GarySmithN.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Smith. 
He is an economics professor at Pomona College in Claremont, California, and his latest book is called The AI Delusion. Uh, welcome back to the show, Gary. Oh, thank you. So another area that people look at artificial intelligence is robotics, um, where robots can do all kinds of things that humans cannot do. What is real and what is not real about what robotics is going to be able to do using artificial intelligence? Well, it's, it's kind of a paradox here, and you take things that are really, really difficult for humans, like finding the square root of any number in the world, or naming the capital of any country, or finding the directions to the nearest gas station, and computers are really, really good at it. And then you take things that are really simple, like learning to walk, or recognizing faces, or telling from a person's face whether they're telling the truth or not, and computers are really bad at it. And, and part of the thing is that computers don't, you know, contrary to what you might think by talking to Siri or something like that, computers have absolutely no understanding of the world. They don't understand what words mean. And so there's this famous thing called the Winograd Schema Challenge, which is a bunch of sentences like this one I'm about to give you. What does it refer to in this sentence? You can't cut that tree down with that ax because it is too small. And, you know, we are, we are humans. We know what a tree is and an ax is and small and cut down. And we know a small ax is going to have trouble cutting down that tree. And computers don't know the answer. They, they essentially guess because they don't know what any of those words actually mean. They can spell check them. And count the number of times they're used. They can find the words in, in, uh, on the Internet and do, do a search for them. But they don't, in any meaningful sense, know what the words mean. Or, or this one. Is it okay to walk downstairs backwards if I close my eyes? And humans immediately, because we, we live life. We know what stairs are. We know what backwards are. We know what safe is. We know what close eyes means. We know all those things. And so we, we have the common sense to know you shouldn't do that. But for a computer, a computer has absolutely no way of answering that question unless it's been pre-programmed with a script to answer it because it, it doesn't know what stairs are. It doesn't know what backwards. It doesn't know what closed eyes. It doesn't know what safe is. And so anything that requires an actual understanding of the world and understanding what words mean, for example, computers are hopelessly inept. And, and that's Is it possible of, to teach them? I mean, they might not know it now, but in well, future developments. And, and that's the thing. And, and so the, the way... The way computer programs, computer programs started out, uh, AI intelligence started out maybe 40 years ago, and the pioneers in the field were trying to get write, write programs that would mimic the human brain, that would have common sense and wisdom and critical thinking, and it just it was too tough. You couldn't make any money doing it, and so AI went off in a different direction, which is let's write programs that can make some money, like search engines or spell checkers, things like that, or tightening bolts on on cars and. Uh, and they stopped trying to write computer programs that would have common sense or wisdom or critical thinking. Just It was too difficult. And right now, I think we're starting to come back to it. There are a few people around the country, a few institutes that have been set up, which are trying to work on, on those problems. And they're just devilishly difficult. And that, that's the paradox that a very simple thing like, what does it refer to in a sentence, is extremely difficult for a computer but it can calculate the square root of 5,740,321 in, in a flash. That's, yeah. that's the paradox. So as far as robots particularly, are robots going to take away a lot of our jobs, or what can robots do well and what can they not do well? Well, in, in terms of, of taking over the world first, which is the fear, you know, we see these movies and read these books about computers taking over the world and eliminating humans. And it, it's, totally, it's totally far-fetched in that 
computers again, they don't know what the world is, they don't know what humans are, they don't know what life is, takeover, survival, anything like that. And so there's a guy, Oren Etzioni, who runs the, uh, he's head of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. And that's one of those places where they're trying to write, write programs that have, have common sense and wisdom. And so he said, wonderfully, how can computers take over the world when they don't know what it refers to in a sentence? And, and, and that's the essence of it. Is we're in no danger of computers eliminating humans. Now, on the job front, there are some jobs that the computers can do better than humans. So, for example, uh, you work in a law office and some case comes up and you need to find uh, all other cases that refer to that case. And so you got to do a search of all sorts of legal documents and find references to, to a particular case, you know, Smith versus Goodman. And a computer can do that much better than humans. But then you get all the cases together and which of them are relevant and what arguments do you make that are going to persuade a jury or persuade a judge? And computers can't, cannot even begin to do those tasks. And so anything that requires actual thinking, <laughs> humans are safe. And anything that require, does not require thinking, like tightening bolts or doing searches of documents, those are the kind of jobs that are in danger. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I mean, a lot of people are saying robots, for example, driving trucks, and doing painting in factories and, and car factories, that they are going to take these. In fact, they already have to some extent taken. And so, in, in factories, doing a thing like paint, painting, a, doing a very repetitive task, which is the same every time with no variation and no kind of general intelligence to, to move on to other things. Computers are really good at it. And so, paint this paint this car a certain color. They'll just do it over and over and over again, and they never get tired. So, so they're really good at they're really good at stuff like that. But design a car that looks cool for humans to drive, they can't do it. They can't do that. And in, in terms of self-driving cars, one of the one of the problems they found is when you when we see something, we see what it is. And so when we see a wagon, we see the wheels, we see the box, we see the handle. We think there's probably wheels on the other side of the wagon. We think there might be something inside the wagon. We somebody see somebody walk up to the wagon, maybe a parent and a kid, and we wouldn't be surprised if the kid got in the wagon and the parent pulled. And we, we know all that. When a computer looks at a wagon, what it sees is pixels. And it looks at the pixels and it tries to match them to pixels that it's got its memory from other, other pictures of things it's seen. And sometimes it gets it right, and sometimes it gets it incredibly wrong. One of the examples in my book a state-of-the-art artificial intelligence program looked at a very simple picture of a wagon and uh, said it was a business. And then I gave it to another program and it said it was a badminton racket. (laughs) And there's another one, even more surprising. This is state-of-the-art, it's called Deep Neural Networks, artificial intelligence. They were shown horizontal black and yellow lines and they said it was a school bus. And, and because they don't know, like humans know, the school buses have wheels and windows and doors and stuff like that, and computers don't. So for self-driving cars, one of the problems today, and this Google people are studying this and working on it too, is you see a stop sign, and if it looks like a stop sign, if a computer sees a stop sign that looks like a stop sign in its memory, it recognizes that it should step on the brake and stop the car. On the other hand, you put a peace sign on the stop sign and it might think it's a yield sign or it might think it's a speeding sign or it might think it's an advertisement or it might think it's a first aid kit. That's a true case. It thought it was a first aid kit. And, and they've been these studies where they change one pixel 
on a stop sign, a change that none of us would even notice, a human would never notice, and a computer is all, all of a sudden confused about what it is. And so what they're actually doing with self-driving cars nowadays is they're not trusting computers to recognize stop signs. What they do is they have cars drive around with cameras in a neighborhood where, where a self-driving car is going to be going, and they take pictures of everything around there, the stop signs, the yield signs, the speed limits. Then they go back to the lab, and humans type in, there's a stop sign at this corner, there's a yield sign over here, there's a one-way street over there. And then when the car is driving along, it doesn't actually try to recognize the stop sign. Instead, what it does is uses GPS that tells it you're tells it you're approaching a stop sign, because it's still, <laughs> and so from we're a long memory. ways from having self-driving cars that we can trust, because looking at pixels is a lot different than than seeing the world. So that's pretty radical. I mean, all the car companies are making huge investments in self-driving cars and trucks Oops. as well, and they're saying this is absolutely the future. Do you think it's Never going to happen, or it's going to take longer than they think. I mean, there's it's, it's going to take a long way. I mean, according to uh, Elon Musk, it's supposed to be here already, and uh, now apparently in their advertising, they've t- used to be you had to pay five thousand extra to have a, a totally self-driving car. Now they've taken that away because that they, they know they can't deliver a self-driving car, a completely self-driving car, in the near term. In the near term, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's not going to be eighteen months from now. Yeah, and and the problem the problem again is. If you're writing programs that recognize pixels, that's totally different than writing programs that recognize a wagon or a stop sign or a child. And you've got to do a totally different kind of programming. And and so it's got to be a a revolution in the kind of artificial intelligence programs that are being written. Which has not happened yet, you're saying. It's not happened. And people are starting, starting to look at it, but like the original people, it is really, really hard to do what the human brain does. Yeah. Another area that people use artificial intelligence for is investing, which is yep. very specialized. <laughs> and everybody today is going to robo-advisors and artificial intelligence and index funds, and for that matter, high-frequency trading, yep. which is all done in an automated way. Yep. What, what is the downside of all that movement? Well, well the upside first is of computers is uh, computers can find data a lot faster than uh, in the old days we had to do things by hand, look things up in books and copy them down with a pencil. <laughs> it took forever and uh, you would never, you could barely scratch the surface of all the data that was available. And then the other thing is when we used to make trades, we'd have to go through a broker and we'd have to pay like $100, $200, $400 to make a trade. And nowadays with computers, you know, it's pocket change to make a trade. And we can go anywhere on the internet and we can get all sorts of data and all sorts of information. And so that's the upside. The downside is you think a computer is smart. And so if a computer says uh, you ought to buy gold and sell silver, you say, well, who might who to intervene here? Computers know, know more than I do, so I'll do that. And that, that's, that's treacherous because computers don't know what gold is. They don't know what silver is. They don't know why the price of gold ought to be related to the price of silver. They just found some statistical correlation and trading on the basis of correlations is, is dangerous okay good we're going to take a break uh, this is jordan goodman of the money answer show my guest this hour is gary smith he's an economics professor at pomona college in claremont california his latest book is called the ai delusion you can find out more at his website GarySmithN.com. we'll be back after this
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Smith. He is a professor of economics at Pomona College in Claremont, California. His latest book is called The AI Delusion. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Oh, thank you. I want to talk a little bit more about the investing world. So there's a huge amount of the trading is done computer only with this high-frequency trading, millions of shares and indexes. What is the downside of, of that? Well, the downside is <laughs> we've had these things like the flash crash where the computer just got – I said they got out of control because nobody knew exactly why they were trading or you know, what, what basis were – it's these things like these deep neural networks, which nobody understands, and the people who run funds that use them, they say we don't need to understand because computers are smarter than us, and so we just let the computers trade. And uh, sometimes they make money, sometimes they lose money, and sometimes they go nuts, like the flash crash we had a few years ago where in, in computers all of a sudden started uh, trading amongst themselves tens of thousands of futures contracts, and nobody knew why they were trading them. The prices of stocks dropped, of good stocks dropped by 
One computer bought a share of Apple stock for $100,000. Another one sold a stock, I think it was Procter & Gamble, for a penny. Because they had no idea what stocks are really worth. They don't know what a stock is, let alone what it is worth. They just know that some correlation inside the system told them you need to buy. And then a second later, or now a second later, you need to sell. And so just this feverish thing. And then finally, the New York Stock Exchange said, let's take a five-second timeout. And then the computers calmed down and <laughs> went back to normal. And but if anything, it's bigger than that was 2010 that the flash crash yeah. happened. Yeah. So, I mean, back in 1987, when you had the crash of 87, yeah. you had program trading yeah. where automatically programs were being set off when they were selling. They produced more selling. Some people said that's what happened in October of this year, that the computers kind of exacerbated it. They, they put in various... Uh, bumps on the road and various kind of stop do like that. five second timeouts and stuff. <laughs> but, but you're saying it's not really going to be very effective. Well, I, I think probably the timeouts and the uh, a price can't change by more than X percent or something like that is going to calm the computers down. But for ordinary investors like uh, you and me and people who listen to you and me, our, our main concern is should we turn our money over to a, a fund that says, as some of them do, all of our trades are made by computers with no no subjective humans intervening and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And from my perspective, it's, it's a very scary thing. I, <laughs> I'd rather rely on my own judgment or the judgment of somebody who knows what they're talking about than a computer that's just looking for, for correlations. I mean, what they're saying is that emotion is what makes people make bad investment decisions and, so and the, the computers the, don't have emotion. Yeah, that's true. And so a big argument for index funds, which you mentioned before, is a person who has trouble controlling their emotions, who gets carried away by greed. When the market's going up, they buy after the market's gone up and fear they sell after the market's gone down. One way those people can protect themselves is just to say, everything, every dollar I save is just going to go into an index fund and I'm not going to pay any attention to the stock market. I just have the, the weekly or monthly deduction or contribution, whichever whichever it is, and I'll just uh, let it be. And for those kind of people who can't control their emotions, it's, it's, it's a good thing. On the other hand, if you have computers out there buying and selling with no, no common sense or wisdom about what stocks are really worth, prices can get too high and prices can get too low, and humans who could control their emotions can step in and do the opposite. And so when things get bubbly, humans can step in and say, this is, this is an opportunity. And when, when prices get too low because computers are selling too much, humans can step in and say, this is a buying opportunity. And so I, I think I wouldn't trust my money to computers, but I'm happy they're out there because they create opportunities for people who uh, can take advantage of them. Yeah, that's the trading part. And then people talk about robo-advisors allocating money between index funds, between different assets. Is that the, the same situation? It's the same thing. It's just looking to past historical correlations. And the one thing I know from you know 40 years of statistics and 40 years of studying markets and 40 years of being invested in the market is past correlations are a really, really poor, very unreliable guide to what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's being run by computers these days is the whole blockchain and Bitcoin yeah. world. So that's very much computer-oriented. What do you think of the whole uh, craze towards Bitcoin and, and digital currencies and the blockchain? It, Bitcoins are just digital uh, tulip bulbs. And a lot of the appeal is it's kind of 
I was at a Freedom Fest and I was in a debate out there about Bitcoin and uh, a lot of the people who were attracted to Bitcoin, there's, there's a couple well, different kinds of people. One is computer people who think anything done with a computer must be great <laughs> and they don't understand blockchains and so that makes it more more attractive, you know, something, if you don't understand what it is then it must be really, really great. There's another group of people who don't trust the government and they don't believe, they don't trust the Federal Reserve, they don't trust money and so... Uh, some alternative money, Silicon Valley money, has an appeal to them. And then there's a third kind of people, which are, this is a way to make money because Bitcoin prices are going up so fast. And uh, the sooner I buy, the more money I make. And that latter thing is 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 is, is a delusion. It's, it's what makes it like uh, tulip bulbs. In that, when you buy a stock, you buy a bond, you buy an, buy an apartment building, you buy a business. The good reason for buying it is it generates cash. It makes some money. The bonds pay interest, stocks pay dividends, the apartments pay rent, the businesses have profits. And with Bitcoin, what do you have? Nothing. And so for a value investor, the question is, would I buy this and put it away for 10 years and come back 10 years from now and say, well, I'm glad I have this and everything is done for me over these 10 years? And for Bitcoin, the answer is no. Because <laughs> What do you have after 10 years is you got, you got the same nothing you had at the start. It hasn't generated any cash, made any profits, or, or given you any any kind of income. It's just a it's just like a tulip bulb or a beanie baby or any of the other uh, fads and fashions that. Uh, is it going to go away? What is the uh, end end game of Bitcoin? It's gone down dramatically, but what, what yeah. is the end game? Yeah, I, I don't know. The um, I think as, as a money, I mean, electronic electronic money is is very very good. I mean. I was calculating the other day, like 99.7% of, of all the things I buy and sell is done without any, without cash. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a, it goes over the internet or it goes through a checking account sometimes, but it, it, I don't need cash to carry out almost anything I do. And so a cashless society is, is great. Now the advantage of Bitcoins, the only ones that I, I see are people think they're, the government doesn't know what they're doing. And so if you want to do something illegal or you want to do something untaxed, then Bitcoin has appeal to those those kinds of people who they don't trust the government or they don't want the government to, to, enter, to, to know what they're doing. And so it might be around for that kind of stuff. As an investment, I think the, the fizz has gone out of the, the bubble there. And when it, when it shot up to $20,000 in, in, uh, in 2017, there was so much excitement. And now uh, it's down less than $4,000 now. And I think there's no reason to buy it. Mean, the only reason to buy something that doesn't generate cash is because you think you can sell it to somebody else for a higher price. And you a fool theory, basically. A greater fool theory. And yeah. the, the, the Bitcoin ran out of greater fools. <laughs> mm-hmm. And nobody's going to buy Bitcoin if the price is going down. And so, it's, it's, so, so that's Bitcoin. How about the blockchain, which people talk about a lot as a fundamental technology? Is, well, is that going to add? Well, the people I talk to and you know, the people actually know what blockchain is about says it has potential in, in some kinds of industries and but it is far from recognizing whatever potential it has there. As far as, as keeping track of uh, transactions, it's extremely inefficient. It burns up so much electricity, it takes up so much computer space, and the transactions are so slow. It's, it's just, it's virtually useless as, as a currency unless your most important thing is, I don't want people to know what I'm doing. But in terms of you know, using your credit card to buy something or using Bitcoin to buy something, it's, it's, it's no contest. 
And from a macro standpoint, the blockchain technology behind the, these currencies uses up so much electricity. It's just it's extremely inefficient way of, uh, of handling a medium of exchange. Now, the SEC and other regulatory agencies around the world are wanting to make Bitcoin trading and initial coin offerings and all that into securities and registered that way. What will that do to the market if that happens? It would make it, would make it more, people would consider it to be more legitimate, but it's still going to be have the same basic problem is, is there's nothing there there. It doesn't generate any income. So why would you want to, why would you want to, quote, invest in it? Yeah. Now you're a value. The previous book you did was about value investing. Yeah. Value investing has been out of vogue for a long time, although lately it seems to be doing better. Is is there a turn happening now where value investing is going to do better than growth investing? Well, in the long run, well, it, it, those are, those are <laughs> the terms are kind of hard to. It's kind of like artificial intelligence. What's growth and what's value and stuff like that. And so, like, is Apple a growth stock or a value stock? And there's a lot of companies like that where they're they're kind of both, and they're, they're not really one or the other. And the basic principles of value investing, which is you buy something that generates income at a reason, and you pay a reasonable price for it, that's always going to do well. And if if the market goes off like it did during the dot com bubble, and starts paying ridiculous prices for companies that don't generate cash, don't have any income, and are going to go bankrupt in a couple of years. I mean, that's fine for the people who invest in that, but for the value investors who avoided those things, there wasn't a problem. So, I mean, uh, when the, the, the growth companies get hurt, as they have been recently, you yeah. want to go for something the more solid. Yeah, yeah. But is, is that, are these have long-term trends of value doing better, growth doing better. Have we turned the corner and value is now going to do better? I, I don't. I, th- I think value is always in vogue, and so I, I resist the thing that value, in terms of stock prices go so high for growth, or stock prices go so low for growth, or high for value, or low for value. If you're sitting here right now and saying, what kind of stock would I like to have if I were to put it away, wait 10 or 20 years, and go back and look at it and say, wow, I'm glad I invested in that, I think a value stock is, is going to be the winner. Uh-huh. And if, you, if you mean by growth stock, if, if you even buy growth stock, a stock like Apple or Google that grows over time, then that, that's a good investment. But if you mean a, a startup that has no profits and a, a dicey future, then I, that, that's not, not a good investment, not a good value investment. Very good. But uh, companies that make profits like Google, Google and Apple make profits. Those, those, are, those are value stocks, even though they, both, even though they grow too. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dr. Gary Smith. He's a professor of economics at Pomona College in Claremont, California. His latest book is called The AI Delusion, and you can find out more at his website, which is GarySmithN.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. 
SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth in Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthinequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dr. Gary Smith, economics professor at Pomona College in Claremont, California. His latest book is called The AI Delusion, about the delusions of artificial intelligence. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Thank you. It's fun talking with you. You've got a chapter called Patterns in Randomness, and you talk about ESP as something that people think computers may be able to have. What's not right about that? Well, there's this thing called the Texas Sharpshooter Policy, and it it, it, uh, summarizes the problems there. And so I claim to be a Texas Sharpshooter that I can hit bullseyes. And to prove it, I look at a wall and I paint 10,000 bullseyes on the wall, and then I fire my gun, and, and sure enough, I hit one. And then I erase all the others and say, uh, look, I hit the bullseye. And in ESP research, that corresponds to I test 1,000 people, and then I tell you about the one person who got 10 right, and I don't tell you about the other 9,999 that, that messed up. And then the other kind of Texas sharpshooter policy is I have a blank wall, and I fire my gun, and it puts a hole in the wall, and then I go and draw the target around the hole after I fired it. <laughs> and in ESP research, that corresponds to you give somebody an ESP test, and uh, their answers don't match the uh, the cards contemporaneously. But then you notice if you look one ahead, they got a lot right. Or maybe if you look two ahead, or maybe if you look one back, 
or maybe if you look too back, or maybe they had negative ESP. Maybe they got more wrong than you would expect. And so you make up the theory after you see the data. And, and computers do a lot of that stuff too. And so in stock market research, it might be, let's see how the stock market does on January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd, January 4th. Use all you know, 250 trading days of the year. And uh, at the end you say, wow, April 18th, see, over the last 10 years, April 18th has been a really good year to buy stock, a really good day to buy stocks. And that's, that's Texas Sharpshooter Policy number one. Because you know, if you look at 250 days of the year, you know one day is going to do better than others and other days are going to do worse. And But you had no reason, no logical reason to pick out April 18th before you started. And so the fact that you found one day that did better than others, it's like hitting one bullseye on a wall full of bullseyes. It proves nothing at all. And then yep. for Texas Sharpshooter Policy number two, that's like, hey, the uh, AFC won the Super Bowl this year and the market went down. What about last year? Oh, the NFC won and the market went up. Huh, maybe there's a pattern there. <laughs> and so you, you look back and you come up with some pattern. Maybe you got to twist the data a little bit. Maybe you got to pretend that Pittsburgh's in the, in the NFC when it's really in the AFC. But you twist the data a little bit and you come up with some theory that sort of fits the data. But it, it's a theory that makes no sense. It's, it's not a theory you would have thought of before looking at the data. And, and that's the problem with artificial intelligence in investing and elsewhere is it looks at the data it's called data mining. It looks at the data without any notion ahead of time about what it's looking for. And then it finds a correlation and it says this must be meaningful because these two things are correlated. Even though we know and we're told over and over and over again, correlation is not causation. If a computer says two things are correlated, we tend to trust it because we think computers are smarter than us. Yeah. So they're very good at correlation, but not very good at causation, you're saying. And so that's, and so that's going back to what I said before, where's the role for humans in this? The role for humans is to step in and say, the Super Bowl theory doesn't make any sense. Forget about it. <laughs> or April 18th, there's no reason why April 18th to be a good day to buy stocks. Forget about it. And without humans coming in, stepping in, without human experts stepping in to uh, correct the errors made by computers, those errors could be uh, costly. <laughs> So when you talk to people in the artificial intelligence world, people at Google or everybody who's using artificial intelligence, what do they say about your skepticism about AI? They actually agree completely. I was up at the Googleplex last year and I gave a talk up there and uh, it was called Big Data, Big Computers, Big Trouble. And I talked about the Texas Sharpshooter Policy and all this stuff. And they know all this stuff. And I've given talks around at other colleges about this and, and they know that. People in the in the business, they know that computers do not understand the world the way humans do. They know the computers do not understand what words mean. It's computer scientists who made up the Winograd Schema Challenge to try and, here's a challenge, try and write a program that can figure out what it means in a sentence. And they, they know how difficult that is. And the problem is with, with us lay people, people outside the industry who are fooled by the hype and people who think that computers really are smarter than us because Siri can tell us the direction of Starbucks. And uh, we want to believe to some extent, right? We, we do want, want to believe. And so the, this thing was called the AI delusion. And my publisher, Oxford University Press, gave it that name. It's a reference to another book called The God Delusion. And it's, it's people want to believe in something. They don't trust themselves to make decisions. And so they, they want to believe that religion has the answers or computers are the new religion. The computers have the answers. And they don't trust themselves. And the core message of my, of my, my book is that uh, 
the real problem is not that computers are smarter than us, but that we think computers are smarter than us and we trust them to make decisions they shouldn't make. And we need to trust ourselves. Are there going to be actual dangers from this? I mean, say uh, self-driving cars killing people, or what are some of the dangers? Of I think the, more, the bigger danger is is the, is to talk about having uh, robots fight wars, <laughs> and so you see, it, it could be a ro- robotic plane, or it could be a robotic uh, something that looks kind of like a human that moves around firing firing things, firing bullets or grenades or whatever they shoot, and so, so you give a. You give a, a computer program, here's, here's your objective, go kill something that looks like this, and show it a picture, and it looks at the pixels, and then it goes roaming around the world looking for something that matches what's in its, those pixels, and it ends up uh, killing the wrong people, or killing somebody, and, and at collateral damage, killing a school bus full of children, because computers don't, <laughs> they don't think about the consequences, and they don't always get it right. They don't always bomb the right place or kill the right person, and... If you got two countries or three countries or four countries engaged in this kind of stuff, it, it could be mutually assured destruction. <laughs> Mad. Yes, indeed. So what do you want people to take away from this? Maybe some skepticism about AI, but what are some things people should be doing differently now that they understand uh, the, the, the downsides and the hype of AI? Well, if, if you work for a company which is approving, you know, looking at job applications or loan applications or insurance applications – based on AI, you should be a little bit skeptical and ask, how did the computer come up with this decision? How did the computer decide this person should not get, get the job? And if you can figure out it's because she went to a women's college, then you know you got, a, you got a problem, you made a mistake. And not just blindly say, the computer said hire A but not B, you should say, well, why did, why did the computer pick A and not B? And if you don't know that, then you're you're at risk. Well, you're at risk. Your company's at risk, but also the person A and B are at risk because <laughs> A got the job and B didn't, and B got turned down for some silly reason. Or you apply. It would be hard to challenge that if that's within the computer, but and, it, and that's and that's the that's the real problem. And so throughout the country now, they're using it's called algorithmic criminology. They're they're granting uh, parole. They're grant they're determining prison sentences, and they're determining bail based on what black box computer programs say. And nobody knows what's going on inside those black boxes. And uh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you're in that situation where the computer decides you should be denied bail and you should go to prison for 20 years and you should be denied parole and you have no idea why the computer said that, that that's scary. Pretty scary. That's really pretty scary. I'll give you one Sorry. final one. There's, there's a group in China. They came up with this facial recognition software where they claimed they could, by looking at your face, they could tell whether you were a criminal or not. And, and so, so you're supposed to go around putting people in jail because some program decided you look like a criminal. Pretty well. <laughs> and one blogger, one blogger wrote, well, what harm could that do if people go to jail for a while and get <laughs> and learn how to behave properly? What harm could that do? I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's just frightening. It's frightening. It is. Very good. Well, this has been very interesting. My guest this hour has been Dr. Gary Smith. He's a professor of economics at Pomona College in Claremont, California. His book is called The AI Delusion, and you can find out more at his website, GarySmithN.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Gary. Oh, thank you. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.